So we'll try not to be weird about groups, but I'll tell you one thing about uh, uh, groups for me. They've been one of the things that have been one of the greater encouragements over the years. Uh, because we spend so much time together, and, and it's not the, the weird, um, okay, everybody now sit down knee to knee and look into your, your um, spouse's eyes and tell them how wonderfully beautiful and encouraging and strong they are. That's not, I mean, there may be a place for that, but that doesn't happen in small groups. What we, instead, what we do is we share life. We talk about the scripture, and we talk about how it does make a difference in in our lives and what we do. So we'll be talking more about small groups in the coming weeks, and we'll end with some sign-ups in this month, and it's going to be a wonderful opportunity for you to become uh, more equipped in your faith, because honestly, the bottom line of small groups is not about just hanging out with people. It's about encouraging one another in love and good deeds. In fact, being disciples who make disciples, and that's really what we're about. So you've made it today. This is the last Sunday of Galatians, right? And so what I wanted to start out with, though, is asking you a question about travel. How many of you are light packers? You, you know, you just travel light. You're a light packer. You're going somewhere for about two weeks, and you can fit every bit of it into a carry-on. Anyone that way? It's business casual, uh, business and casual, all in one bag. So early in our marriage, um, one of us was not a very light packer. <laughs> and it was one of those things where we're going on a one-day trip and we take two bags, which had three outfit choices and four pairs of shoes, right? That's kind of the way it works, right? But probably the most heavy packing that we had was seen in our outdoor activity. The things that we would do, our recreation. In fact, um, the questions kind of go like this. Hey, listen, um, do you think we're going to need a table, if we're going to need to pack a table to go to the pool? Do, do you think we're going to need, um, do you think we're going to need more than one towel per person? Uh, you know what, let's go ahead and put this in there. We'll put it in the car just in case. Anyone else have a spouse like that? Look at nobody raising their hands. Oh, okay. So it's not just Melanie. Okay, um, so our first trip as a couple, here's what we did. Our first trip as a, a couple, well, actually as a little family of three, uh, it was to Corpus to the beach. Actually, Mustang Island, so, you know, a little bit on the other side. And Logan was about seven or eight months old. And, oh, well, I actually have a picture of, of what it looked like getting to the beach. <laughs> yeah, that's about right. So, do you ever feel like this is how much stuff you have to carry? You, you ever feel like, you know, no matter what, <laughs> this is kind of how it works? You know, you're playing Tetris just to get it in the back of the car. In fact, you bought an SUV not because you had more kids, but because you had more stuff. But we did have a great day at the beach, and in fact, um, by the time I got everything set up down at the water, it was time to go. It was great. Uh, it was time for us to go home. And, and, but here's the thing about us, is that we carry so many things. We just carry so many things. In fact, and if you were to say, you know what, that's not actually a picture of us going to the beach. That's a picture of what it feels like in my life, because some things just feel 
pressing and they feel out of control. So the question I want to start with this morning was how much weight can you bear in your life? How much weight can, can, you, can you take on? How much stress? Not for the concept of, of bragging, you know, oh, how are how you doing? Oh, man, we're just, we're just busy and, and there's so much stress and, oh, man, I'm so sorry. No, no, it's good. It's good. It's good stress. It's good busy, right? And we find ourselves walking through and slugging through a life that is hard. And we go through life and we feel like we're carrying so much weight, and that weight isn't around our ankles. That weight is on our shoulders, and it's something that presses us down. It's a lot of stress, a lot of things to happen, so many decisions. We have so many decisions we have to make. Not only are we making decisions about what to eat for dinner, which in itself is really hard, but then we have to think about, how am I going to pay this bill when that other one's due? Or we're thinking about, well, should I change my job? And we make those decisions and we feel that weight, but here's the bigger problem. Oftentimes we feel alone, that there's no one who can help. So as we finish Galatians today, as we finish Galatians and look at this last part in looking in chapter 6, as we finish today, I want to remind you last week that we looked at something pretty important in the life of a Christian. We looked at fruit. And we answered the question, what does a spirit life, a spirit-filled life look like? What comes of a life of love and obedience? What what comes in a life that is that is filled with doing the things that Christ calls us to do? We learned that it's the fruit of the spirit. Remember, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And we learned that we all need to grow in them. But we also understood this, that the fruit grows. The fruit grows when we remember that we belong to Jesus. The interesting thing about the way that the fruit of the Spirit grows inside you, it's not about your effort It's about your laying down. It's about not trying to make things look about your accomplishments, but instead about the transformation that happens inside of you. This is what Paul called living by the Spirit. And what I really appreciate about Paul and appreciate about so much of the, of the scriptures is that they're so practical, that the, the scriptures will bring us so much encouragement, but they'll also bring us so much practicality when we train ourselves to look in them. And so Paul gives an immediate example in his letter to the church in Galatia about how, what does it look like if you employ the fruit of the Spirit in your life? What does it look like to bear fruit in your life? So Paul, after he said that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, he then said, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. He says, do as the Spirit leads you. If If your life is being transformed into all the fruits of the Spirit, all the fruit of the Spirit, Do as the Spirit leads you. Do as the Spirit transforms you. Keep in step. And what does it mean truly to keep in step? That means don't run ahead. 
Don't run ahead and think you know where this thing is going, like you have it all figured out. How many of you, when you were kids, you did that? You went on a vacation or you went to somewhere that you've never been before, and then you get out of the car as a family, and you start walking up to wherever you're supposed to go, and then you take off like a shot because you think you know exactly where you're supposed to go. Ends up that you didn't. You end up in the wrong line. You end up in the wrong place at the wrong time. Or you end up back in the car because your parents said, don't run ahead. And you did anyway. And sometimes we run ahead like we have things all figured out. But also keeping in step with the Spirit is about not falling behind. It's, not, it's about not being so sluggish, so distracted that you aren't keeping your mind engaged, your transformation of your heart in tune with what the Spirit is doing. So Paul says, listen, since we live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, and let's not become conceited. Let's not become conceited provoking and envying each other. Now, that honestly feels a little bit weird that he said, listen, keep in step, but then don't become conceited and don't provoke and don't envy. So what happens when you don't live by, live by and keep in step with the Spirit? Well, what happens is what we struggle with anyway. It's actually what, what the uh, contrast of the fruit of the Spirit is earlier in, in chapter 5 of Galatians. It's about those things that we trust in, those things that we chase more than we chase Jesus. It's those things that we make much of ourselves. We make so much of ourselves. In fact, we elevate ourselves. And so Paul says, listen, if you're going to live by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit, then you don't, don't elevate yourself. Don't make up much of yourself. And don't provoke others. Don't look down on them. Don't make fun of them. Don't say that they should be somewhere else. Don't look down. Don't judge. Don't engage with them with malintent. So how do we make much of ourselves? Well, we make much of ourselves when we make much of the wrong things. We make much of the things that we're calling out when we envy when we set anything up in front of us or others that does not drip in the Spirit of God, that does not have the very image of Christ in it, that is not pushed and impressed through the gospel of Jesus. When we desire what someone else has, when we desire to live a life in such a way because we look at somebody and say, you know what, they don't struggle they're not struggling in these things, and gosh, I just wish I was a super Christian like them. And we make much of them and little of us. And we struggle, and we press more in, and, we, and we're, we're in that spot where we're, come on. Come on. And then we take on this burden and this load, and, and it presses on us, and it pulls us down. So how do we keep in, in with the Spirit? How do we keep in step? It's by learning to live by the Spirit, to work, to walk in line with the Spirit, to allow the Holy Spirit to do the work inside us. And I know that some of us go, how do you allow that? It's like you're saying you have control over God. 
You don't have control over God. But God, he wants you to desire the greater things. And so we make much of ourselves, and we press others down, and we envy them, and we lift them up. And he says, Paul says, listen, brothers and sisters, here's a, here's a practical example of how this works out. If one of you is caught in sin, if someone is caught in sin, that is not just laying in wait. Okay, it's not like you're, you're hiding behind a tree waiting to catch somebody sinning and going, ha, saw ya, right? This is a literal entanglement in sin. This is somebody that is in something that they cannot get out of. It's not setting someone up for a fall. It's not trying to catch somebody in the midst of a sin. It's not calling pot shots on social media. The emotion that drips in this understanding, in this scripture, is compassion. Read this with an emotion of compassion. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught entangled in sin. But see, this does not mean that we're to confront everyone, anyone. It's the sinning in a way, the sinning in, in such a way that they can't get out. And we're calling this out, we're confronting this out because we know, we know that it is not in line with the spirit that resides inside them. So we're not quick to criticize. We're not quick to tell people their, th- their faults. Because we learn other places in Scripture that we're supposed to overlook someone's sin, right? But not overlook somebody that is drowning and can't get out. We're talking about habitual. We're talking about a pattern We're talking about someone who cannot get out without help. So this type of confrontation means that we're not too quick to criticize or too scared to confront. It's a balance that we live in. How then do we do this? It's balance. For some of us, for some of us, uh, we know or have been entangled so deeply in sin, which couldn't be overcome without outside intervention. In fact, there are some in here that make their their living by helping people to walk through those problems and to confront those things that, that so easily entangle them and so easily pull them away. And they give them tools to overcome. They give them new ways of thinking. They give them help. They intervene. We shouldn't be too quick to criticize. In fact, in 1 Peter, Peter said that we should, above all, love one another earnestly. Because we like this part. Since love covers a multitude of sins. And to tell you the truth, the the legalist in us has a little bit of trouble with this unless it's applying to us. Right? We're, we're happy with checking off the box and we're saying, you know what? I will call out any sin that you have. 
I will look and try to, try to just imagine and think of all of the ways in which you're sinning. But I tell you what, if you call out mine, I, you need to love and cover me. Right? Because that's our default. We look at others and we judge them by their very worst. We judge them by their worst intention, but then we want others to judge us by our best intention, right? We want people to think better of us when we're so quick to put them down. So Paul says, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Something that I think is super important about this part of the passage is this. But you who live by the Spirit, live by the Spirit. That means before you engage in a confrontation, you need to check your fruit. You need to ask the question, am I living by the Spirit? Even deeper than that, am I confronting this person because of a selfish reason? Am I confronting them because I feel somehow that I've been taken advantage of, that somehow I have been hurt? Am I trying to make myself feel better about myself by calling you out? Paul says that, that we're to live in such a way that the fruit is supposed to be such evidence in our lives that we live by the Spirit, that we keep in step with the Spirit, that when we see our brother entangled in sin, our response is one of compassion because the goal, the goal is restoration. The goal is to restore in gentleness. Now, the Greek word there uh, used to say restore is the same as the, the word that is used when they talk about setting a broken bone. One that is not, one that's actually out of joint, out of, out of alignment. So to bring back a bone that is broken back in place, a dislocated bone, it's extremely painful, I hear. I've not had to endure that, but I hear it's very painful. But the problem is, if your bones aren't in the places that they're supposed to be, it's not good for your health, and it doesn't promote healing. And so the practice of putting something back in place, while painful, it puts it back in its natural place. Setting a bone is essential to the healing. So what is at stake as we are looking at this scripture, as we are restoring in gentleness, what is at stake is a, it's about restoring the kingdom in a heart. It's about restoring the right place in our hearts. It's about restoring somebody back into having the gospel being the central understanding of their own identity. It's as much about our hearts when we're, when we're looking to restore someone as it is about theirs. If we have a heart that is not in line with the kingdom of God, when we bring a complaint against our brother or our sister, we are at fault. So our heart matters. Our posture matters. It's about the kingdom being restored in our hearts and in theirs. 
In fact, it's a true expression of love and grace. So Paul says, but watch yourselves. Or you also may be tempted. If you don't think that you are capable of a similar sin or an equal sin, if you don't think that you're capable of sinning in such a way that someone would have to come and say, you need to be restored to our Heavenly Father because what you are doing is not in line with His nature and His kingdom heart does not shine through in you. If you don't think that you're, if you don't think that you're capable of that type of sin, Paul says, look out. In other places it says that sin is crouching at your door. Right? And our attempts, if we aren't keep being mindful of our own sinfulness, our own place, our attempts will destroy. They won't bring restoration. So Paul says, carry then each other's burdens. Our responsibility to one another is to put a shoulder to the load in our growing as a follower of Jesus. Our responsibility to one another as we learn what does it mean to have the Holy Spirit to transform me into love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control is to know that my responsibility to you is to put a shoulder to the load that is weighing down on you. It doesn't mean doesn't mean to add weight to someone else. It doesn't mean to continue to push them down and make them feel as though there's no hope. Carrying one another's burdens is to put others first. Living by the Spirit means that we help others bear the load. So the Spirit-led Christian the spirit-led Christian requires more or demands more of themselves than they do of others. They demand more of themselves than they do of others so that they can help, so that they can be the first ones to encourage, so that they can be the ones to, to build up, to bring restoration. A heart check in this for us is, am I a person that can carry a load? Am I one that will lift my brother or sister up? The question is, what, do you, what is your first response when somebody sins against you? If your first response is anger, how dare they? Who do they think they are? Chances are you have trouble bearing someone else's load. Our response should be filled with love. He says, if you carry one another's burdens, you will fulfill the law of Christ. By loving others, by loving others and, and bearing their burdens, we will fulfill the law of Christ. For those of us that, uh, that missed that part in Sunday school, what then is the law of Christ? John 13, 34 says, A new commandment I give you, that you love 
one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. James 2.8 says, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Paul himself, earlier, a few lines up in this letter, encouraged the Galatians to serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. To serve one another is to carry the other's burden. But here's the interesting thing about carrying a burden. You can't do it from a distance. I'll let that sink in for a second. You can't carry a burden from a distance. You have to be in close proximity. You have to be within the reach of a person. You, and oftentimes, carrying a load means that you're shoulder to shoulder. You're coming up underneath the load. You're taking it off both their shoulders and you're distributing it one on the other. You're distributing the weight. You're lifting it up. And that's exactly what Jesus modeled. When we bear burdens... Other, burden, other people's burdens. We follow in the love and the example of Jesus. And this is what living by the Spirit is. It's a life centered on others rather than rules. It's a life centered on the person of Jesus rather than keeping tally. It's an expression of loving obedience to Christ. We bear one another's burdens out of love and obedience to Christ. For that to happen, our view of ourselves must be based in the gospel. Because when we base it on our wants, our needs, our desires... If we base it on our pride, our arrogance, our insecurities, we're going to mess the whole thing up. Paul continues, he says, For if anyone thinks they are something when they are not, if you're too good to get dirty, if you're too busy to serve the body, if you lack a servant's heart, if you are so blinded by your pride that you can't see the needs of others, if you think you're something when you're not, you deceive yourselves. If you stand in a place of superiority and you compare yourself against others, if you, if you stand and you say, at least I'm better than. If your Christian life is about stacking yourself up against someone else, 
either they're good deeds or bad deeds. I may be bad, but I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Paul says you're setting yourself up for deception. Because each one, each one should test their own actions. Each one should stand in the mirror. Stand and look in the mirror and determine what reflection am I seeing? Am I seeing the reflection of a life that won't yield to the work of the Spirit inside me? When I see the reflection in the mirror, am I seeing one that reflects Christ back at me? When I look in the mirror as I test my own actions, is my motivation grounded in being Spirit-led and and seeing the fruit of the Spirit to grow inside of me, keeping in step with the Spirit of God? Or... Is it based on something else? Is my worth determined by how I stack myself up against others? Is their value determined by how much they match the same actions that I have? Is their value based on something that I can see? Or is my value and your value based on the gospel at work inside you. So each one should test their own actions. Then, basically, if they pass the test, they can take pride in themselves alone. If you learn to measure your worth through the gospel if you measure your actions by the work of the gospel inside you, that means that you're not going to give pride or inferiority a foothold in your life. So when Paul tells us, if you, if, if you feel something rising up inside you, and it places you as an idol before Christ, It places your actions, your thoughts, your deeds up higher than Jesus is in your life. Then you need to check your reflection. But if your motivation is based in living by the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit, what the Spirit will do in you and through you, the gospel alive inside you, then you can stand before God You'll stand before God, and the Spirit intercedes for you. So the problem with us is, maybe it's not us, maybe it's just me. The problem with me is, I kind of like winning. I kind of like good things. I kind of like it when I'm appreciated. I kind of like it when people pay attention to what I want. I kind of like it. If you won't tell anybody, I'll say this next one. I kind of like it when I look better than someone else. 
But don't worry, I'm recovering from this, okay? Because we stand alone before God. I stand alone before God at the day of judgment. And there's no one else that he's comparing me to. Because I did bad enough on my own. So they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else, Paul says. For each one should carry their own load. So how can I carry one's burden if I need to carry my own load? What I want you to know is that a load is not the same as a burden. A burden is a heavy weight, something that you can't manage on your own. A load is like a backpack. Now, I've carried a backpack for years. And there have been times when I wish that I didn't have to carry a backpack because they're heavy, they're cumbersome, you can't go sideways through some things, right? But everything that I needed for that time was in that backpack. My load was my burden alone. I didn't ask somebody, hey, listen, I'm going to go, I'm going to go to a, a class Will you carry my backpack for me? Well, I'm not even going that way, but that's okay. Could you carry it? It's heavy. Could you carry it for me? And what do they say? Carry your own backpack, right? See, in all of our, of all of our backpacks, of all of our packs, we have our own difficulties. We have our own opportunities. We have our own gifts, and we have our own weaknesses. In our, our backpacks, we have everything that makes us, that we will stand accountable before God in. We all have to, to carry our own load. Because there are some things that we are only responsible to God for. The only thing beyond trusting in Christ is that we will be able to see where we loved Jesus by obeying him. Loving and obeying Jesus each day is how we carry our own load. And it's in that that we don't have to compare our progress with anyone else. Because my competition in life, my competition in loving and obeying Jesus is me. I'm my own worst enemy, and I'm my biggest cheerleader. I'm the one that will make things hard, and I'm the one that will make it easy. When I carry my own load in obedience to Christ, not because I'm scared, but because I love him, because he loved me so much that he died. He loved me so much that he sacrificed his life so that I could live. So I don't have to live in comparison to others. Because at the end of our time, at the end of time, I cannot carry your load. And I cannot obey Jesus for you. You can't carry my load. And I can't carry yours.
Therefore, therefore, I will not judge my load against your load. I won't judge my life against your life. I won't judge my experience against your experience because in the end, what's at stake is that we love Jesus well. My obedience, my struggles aren't the same as yours. And to some of you are going, thank the Lord. So I shouldn't judge my load against yours. I shouldn't judge your progress or lack of progress against my own. I shouldn't judge your generosity against mine. But out of love for Christ, I will be generous. I will be generous in love. I will be generous in grace. And I'll be generous towards you. Because I know that I don't always obey. So when your burdens weigh you down, love in Christ bears them. The law of Christ at work in us It brings us to love and grace to help our brothers and sisters who are entangled in burdens that weigh them down. We carry our our loads out of love for Christ. Our obedience is born out of love. Live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, and bear one another's burdens. Because for those who are under the weight, for those of us who feel that life has just pressed us down, may we carry our own load And do it so well that we can look at our brother, our sister with compassion and ask, how can I help? How can I help? And how can I leverage me for you? You know, I, I, I live my life hopefully in such a way that it brings honor and glory to Jesus. And I've learned to live my life putting up certain boundaries in boxes. And sometimes when we put up boundaries and boxes, we put ourselves in a position where we don't allow other people to bear our burdens. We call it all kinds of things. We call it, well, I'm just a private person. We, we say, well, there's nothing they can do anyway. And we find ourselves in these places where we find ourselves in these places where we, we've actually established ourselves isolated from the body of Christ. So 
if you don't mind, and it's not too knee to knee and eye to eye for you, I'd like to share a burden with you. Is that okay? I have a sidekick. I have a partner in crime. I have a person that I've loved for 23 years that is going through a health difficulty. That's why you haven't seen her. And we carry our burdens, and we do it with a smile because we know that we have it better than so many other people. But what I want you to do, and what I'm asking you to do, is would you carry the burden for my bride in prayer? We serve a God who does amazing things. And we have hope for a future and that he has a great plan. And so what I want you to do is to bear the burden of prayer for my wife. We don't need anything. If we need meals, we'll let you know. But what we truly need are your prayers. Would you do that?